by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, Vicar Bader, short timer. And uh, it is our privilege to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's also our privilege every week to sit down and review the upcoming readings for your Sunday Divine Worship. We pray that God would bless you as we proclaim the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh for you and for forgiveness, life, and salvation. We do this through the one-year series of readings. We're using the readings from Lutheran Service Book, and during this uh, summertime, the uh, Sundays after Trinity, occasionally we'll have uh, a little bit of variety one year to another. There are some options. This just happens to be one of those weeks when our gospel reading last year was Luke 15, 1 to 10, and now this year is Luke fifteen eleven to 32. So every other year you get all of Luke 15. So Luke 15, 11 to 32 is the more traditional reading for the third Sunday after <clears throat> Trinity. But uh, we get ahead of ourselves. That's, uh, that's kind of the driving reading. The gospel usually is, but the introit sets the stage for us. Our introit today, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 25, We have selected verses here. Uh, Vicar, take it away. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Pastor, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Normally, we are the ones doing the turning. We are the ones repenting, and that's really what repent means, to make an about face, to turn. What's going on here when we are begging out to God for him to turn to us? Well, it has to do with our sin. Because of sin, we cannot be in the presence of God. And so in a way, it's like uh, God won't even look at us because we are guilty and uh, 
unforgiven, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where our sins are forgiven, now we can be in the presence of God. And so we're asking him to turn back to us, to uh, come back to rescue us, to come back and welcome us into his family, uh, as we're going to see in the gospel lesson, to kind of run out and greet us, uh, welcome us back in our repentance and forgiveness uh, so that we can be children of God again. But doesn't that beg the question, is there is there a time when God is far away from us? Is there a time when God has turned his back on us? Is there a time when God has forgotten about us that we need to cry to him to turn around and remember us and come to us and all this isn't he like always doing that he is always doing that and he even makes uh, rain fall upon the good and the wicked both uh he gives us all we need to support our body and life it's it's not so much an actual um reality of god needing to do this it's actually teaching us that this is what god is doing and how he does approach us and operate in regards to us, that he is forgiveness, that uh, he is turning back to us, but our prayer is always that he continue to do so. And uh, the thing God likes in our prayers for us to remind us of the things that he promises to do, and that's exactly what this is doing, return or turn to us and be gracious to us. That's what he's promised. And, and so for that regard, it's more for our sake than for his. So in a sense, we're praying that we would realize who God is and what he does when all the stuff around us is saying just the opposite. Is that a fair, is that a fair way to yeah, say it? that sounds really nice. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate that affirmation. Vicar, the next line uh, helps us out here. It says, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. How does that verse teach us the root source of 99.9999999% of all of our afflictions and our troubles. Yeah, by forgiving our sins, then all that guilt, all that shame, all that trouble that we have brought upon ourselves is taken away. Uh, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think that we're kind of digging our own hole in some respect and falling into it. But that's exactly what we're doing by sinning continually daily against God and against our neighbors. And because of that, we suffer affliction and trouble here in this life. But God has promised that he will forgive all of our sins and rescue us from our affliction and our trouble. And uh, we have that eternal promise to look forward to in heaven. Pastor, it says uh, in the next line, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What does that mean, and how do I do it? Well, <clears throat> when we talk about uh, lifting up our soul, it's not like us climbing the ladder up to God or doing enough good to please God. Rather, it's us confessing what's going on. We're praying to you, Lord. We're bearing our soul, maybe would be a way to think about it. We're telling you what the problems that we're facing are and reminding you that you promised to take care of us in the face of those problems. And so that's the idea of lifting up our soul. It's, it's bringing before God our petitions and prayers. Twice in our uh, introit, we have the word shame. The next line to you, or uh, oh my God, in you I trust, let me not be put to shame. And in the very last line, let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Vicar, what kind of shame is uh, the psalmist here talking about, and why is that such a problem for us 
today as well. This shame would be the shame that will eternally damn us into hell, the shame that God cannot even bear to look at us because we are so sinful and refuse to repent and come to him. And in that shame, in our unrepentant sin, we're doomed to the fires of hell. But the psalmist says, I put my trust in you. God has taken away our shame by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, who bore all of our shame on the cross, even hanging naked before the world, bearing our shame upon the cross. And so now our shame has been taken away, and God is our refuge. Christ was shamed, so we will never be shamed. That is uh, one aspect of the great exchange that Luther loved to talk about. We give God our gunk, and he gives us forgiveness and his righteousness. And uh, it's, it's a great deal. It's a great deal, and uh, if you thought about that, you'd say, well, what does it cost? I'll pay anything in the world. I'll give everything so that uh, I won't have that eternal shame. And some of the best good news of all is that it doesn't cost a thing. Christ has already paid the penalty for our shame with his innocent death and his shame on the cross, his bloody payment for our death. Pastor? It doesn't cost us anything. It's the holy, precious blood, innocent suffering, and death of Jesus that purchases and wins us for God. Yeah, yeah that, I know that's what you're saying. Yeah, but that is that is it. that is a, a great clarification. I think in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on Him, right, the suffering servant, Jesus, the iniquity, the guilt, the shame. Of us all, and it's important that we don't cheapen that by taking away from Christ. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to take away from Christ, and we don't want to cheapen it either by uh, living an intentionally shameful life, uh, saying, "Oh well, God will forgive me anyway." That uh, that cheapens right. the the grace, that cheapens the payment, that cheapens the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. You are the God of my salvation. That is a great uh, title that uh, the psalmist gives us here in Psalm 25. I believe that's King David, by the way. And um, it says, For you I wait all the day. Pastor, um, talk a little bit about this waiting that is a vital part of the life of a Christian. I think it's even the definition of the life of a Christian. Um, And there's lots and lots of psalms that talk about this. Psalm 130 talks about waiting for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. I know there's a a number of other examples uh, in the Psalms as well. Waiting for God to act is kind of what Christians do. God has promised to return in the person of Jesus, bring this world to an end, and take us to be with him forever. And he says, that day is coming soon, very soon, and yet it's not here yet. So we're waiting for it. Um, We're waiting for Christ to take us to be with him at the end of our lives. And that day is coming sooner. Uh, Every day it draws nearer, and yet it's not here. And so we're waiting for that to take place. Uh, We're waiting for the fulfillment of what has been accomplished in the personal work of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. That's good, waiting for the fulfillment. I like that. I'm even going to write that down. Uh, Vicar, uh, so does that mean God is just slow in keeping his promises, that uh, God is intentionally making us uh, suffer the trials, troubles, and afflictions here on earth to uh, purge us from our sins or to teach us some kind of a lesson? Why, uh, why does God seem to be slow? Is he? 
God seems to be slow because he is a gracious and loving God. If he would have came 27 years ago, I would not have been a member of Paradise. If he would have came uh, 36 years ago, Pastor Moline would have been. If he would have came, well, I won't go that way. But God is so... (laughs) 142 years ago. Yeah. But God seems like he's taking forever, but really he's allowing his word to go out into the world even more so that the Holy Spirit may use that word to create and sustain faith so that more people can be brought into the kingdom of God. The uh, I believe it's Second Peter where it talks about God is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is uh, waiting so that more people would repent and hear the good news. God's word is clear with regard to that. We have... Uh, pastor, uh, it says, oh, God, oh, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. How does God guard my soul, and what is the deliverance that the psalmist is praying for? Well, uh, it has the same idea as far as the guarding of our soul as the, uh, uh, the Luther hymn, A Mighty Fortress, which is uh, reflected of Psalm 46. And, uh, and so this idea that we are in God, and so he's the one who takes the beating while we're kept safe inside of him, and that's in the personal work of Jesus again. And that also then deliverance comes through Jesus as well. Since he is raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, the first fruits of those that sleep, we know that also we shall come where he has gone. As he uh, says in John's gospel, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will surely come back that where I am you may be also. And that's the promise that we have will be delivered from this world of sin and evil. And Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil. And that will happen when Jesus comes again in power and might and glory or when we die and see him face to face. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Trinity. We need to take a short break. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, O Day Full of Grace. I just love that hymn, and I can't think of a better way to get us ready for the gospel reading that we're going to hear, one of the most uh, familiar parables in all of Scripture. This is a parable that uh, is a staple in uh, Sunday school, but this is a parable that many people who are not Christians know this parable as well. Uh, it teaches us uh, so many wonderful things, and we need to be careful that as we're looking at all the wonderful things this parable teaches us, that we don't miss Jesus in this parable. So, uh, Vicar, without further ado, Luke fifteen eleven to 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. 
and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We have here a great uh, story of rebellion, redemption, reconciliation, bitterness, celebration. Three times in that uh, parable we have the word celebrate. I was thinking about the uh, Three Dog Night song, way too early for you, Vicar. Uh, celebrate, celebrate, dance, dance to the, the music. music. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Vicar's going to look that up on YouTube now, I'm sure. Uh <laughs> So we have all these things going on, and it's kind of easy for us to just think about these things in human terms without thinking about what Jesus is really teaching us in Luke 15. Luke 15 is a series of three parables. So you have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Usually we call this the prodigal son from the old King James translation and all that. But in a sense... uh, that is kind of a kind of a misnomer, Pastor. Yeah, it's more rightly the parable of the two sons. Maybe is the way to think about it, because we have issues with both, and we can probably find ourselves in both of those sons as we look at it more closely. 
And I think the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin also helps set it up because we have that same idea at the end that there's more rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who repents than for 99 righteous ones who have no need of repentance. Yes, and the uh, 99 righteous ones who have no need of repentance are those who want to stand before the throne on their own. Uh, they ha- it's not that they don't have a need of repentance. They don't think they have a right. need of repentance. And we all fit into that category at one time or another. Well, Pastor, let's start at the beginning here. It says, uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share or the share of the property that is coming to me. Um, why is that such a radical offensive, uh, jarring thing, first of all, for the younger son to do it, and then to ask for his inheritance while daddy's still alive. It's it's jarring because usually, uh, as you know from this world, inheritance is something you get when someone has died. Um, last wills and testaments divide up the property among the survivors of someone who is deceased. And this younger son, who actually is not in the position of asking because he's the younger son, the older son, uh, receives the first share. The younger son goes and asks for it while his father's still alive. It's as if he's saying, you're dead to me. Give me what I'm going to get when you're dead and uh, leave me alone. It's kind of a uh, excommunication of your your father in that regard. Yeah, excommunication or renunciation. Yes. Um, I want to be a part of the family to get the stuff, but I don't want to be a part of the family to have any relationship with you or my brother or anything that you've accumulated. It is uh, It is probably the most offensive thing that a son could do. Dad, you're dead to me, and I'm leaving. And the father, this is almost kind of a throwaway line here, but the father divided his property between them. Yeah, and I think um, the Greek word for the property here that's divided among the two of them uh, is the word bion, which is the same word we get the word biology from, study of life. And so maybe the way we should think about this is the old English way, uh, his living uh, this is this is the stuff that his life is based upon. This is the way he takes care of his life: clothing, shoes, food, drink, uh, house, home, all that. He's giving a part of his life, his living, to this younger son to go off and do whatever the younger son wants. And so that emphasizes that point from earlier. This is this is a serious thing that the younger son has asked. So the uh, younger son gets his stuff, which is what he wants. He thumbs his nose at dad, and he takes off. It says, um, not many days later, so just as quickly as he could gather all of his stuff, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, his brother speculates how he squandered his um money or his inheritance in wild living we don't know that for sure but the brother does not put the best construction on everything he just assumes that it's prostitutes nothing in the uh, text actually tells us that but he does it does say that he squandered his property in reckless living so he abandons dad he abandons home he even goes to another country and he squanders all of his stuff vicar how is that a um an ancient parable that really depicts 
how many young people act today. Well, just looking back at my college years a little bit, you could see that all the time. Mom and dad were good enough to their children to basically give them a full ride. They uh, paid for their vehicle to go to college. They were paying off their student loans as they were in college. They were even giving them a weekly or monthly allowance to be at college and do the things they wanted. And so what did they do? They, They stayed away. They stayed two, three, four hours away from home at wherever they were going to college. Uh, they, you know, went out every weekend and didn't do as good in their studies as they should have. They lost their scholarships, all this type of stuff, because they took what their parents had worked hard for to try to give them a better life, and they wasted it on whatever they wanted for own, their own selfish reasons. Yeah, we see this uh, not only in the college life, but we see this. You know, I grew up in a farming community as well, and uh, one of the uh, um, standard lines is uh, the first generation earns it, the second generation sits on it, and the third generation blows it. And you see that time and time and time again. Now, it maybe takes two generations in some families or four or five in others, but you see this pattern again and again and again. Now, I don't want to put too much emphasis on this pastor, but when he leaves his family, when he leaves his country and goes to a faraway country, I'm thinking of the book of Ruth, and when you leave your family and your country, you're also leaving your God and your worship. Now, is that uh, is that too much to put into this, or uh, is this something that we can uh, talk about as well? Uh, I think we definitely have examples in the Jewish faith that Jesus is preaching and teaching in where people moved away from Israel and remained Jews uh, in the diaspora. There were Jews in Rome, there were Jews in Turkey, there were Jews even in Iraq and Iran. Um, But we also have from this particular young man a confession of faith uh, back in what he said about his father. A part of the Jewish faith is honor your father and your mother, respect them, take care of them uh, in their need, uh, and family being very important. So I think when he asks for the money from his father, that's a confession that his faith is also broken. And therefore, part of his travel away from his father and his family is to get away from that faith which he has denied in asking for the goods from his father. And the reason I wanted to go there is we see this happen so often. You know, Pastor uh, Moline and I were walking down the hall the other day, and he was saying, tell me about these confirmation kids. Where are they now? And uh, it's heartbreaking. I don't even like to look at those pictures uh, because so many kids have abandoned the faith of their fathers and mothers have abandoned Lutheranism or abandoned Christianity for, you know, some promise of something far away, whether it's uh, 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 some other religion, but most of the time it is just sheer materialism or narcissistic kind of behavior. I want to be on my own. Mom and dad drug me to church my whole life. I'm not going there anymore. And so we see this complete rejection and abandonment of not only familial ties, but also 
religion in general, and faith in the one true God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think if we can kind of couch this uh, parable in that way, we see the sheer joy of the celebration later on when that prodigal son comes back. But again, we get ahead of ourselves. I don't know where the time has flown in this particular segment. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 to 32. We'll be back in just a moment. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. Every Sunday we gather at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also have a Wednesday evening service year-round, 6.30 p.m., and all of our services are broadcast live, good Lord willing, on KNNALP 95.7 The Cross. You can also listen on your handheld device. Just download the app, go to our website, you can listen live there, or check out our archives where we have uh, just an amazing amount of archived programming, not only proclaiming the one, but worship services, uh, the Y files, um, the uh, classroom one that Pastor Kirk and uh, his friend down in uh, Kansas do, a very, very good, solid theological program. And uh, Pastor Moline has been putting many of our programs out as podcasts. And so um, I'm of a generation that this whole podcast thing is a little bit above me. But if somebody wanted to find some of these podcasts that we uh, put together, Pastor, what would be the place they would go and where would they look? Yeah, all they need to do on their cell phone is download uh, a podcast app. We are on uh, quite a few of them, actually. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're on um, a, a number I, of other what, ones. What about I think. Anchor? Is that 
Anchor, yep, Anchor. And and so we have all these different podcast apps that our programming is available on. We have, just real quick, we have uh, Pastor Poppy has his sermons up there. If you search Poppy in one of those places, uh, I have mine. If you search uh, Pastor Moline or With Intrepid Heart, uh, we have um, KNNA Theological Programming, which has at home in your hymnal, Proclaiming the One, and hopefully some of these other programs soon uh, as well. Uh, we have Bringing Bach Back. If you search that, it's its own program. And we also have Nebraska Table Talks available on these. And so all these options to listen, you can download them on your phone, which is handy if you're traveling outside of Lincoln. You can still listen to some of these KNA, Ken, KNNA theological shows uh, just by downloading them on your phone and playing them on your uh, car speaker. I had uh, one of our members just recently tell me that they had downloaded Spotify on their cell phone, and they were surprisingly shocked by how many Good Shepherd things, KNNA things, were there and available. And uh, getting ready for a trip and wanted to download some podcasts. And uh, uh, certainly that's not the only thing you want to listen to on a podcast, especially if you're operating heavy machinery or driving long distances. But uh, that's one of the many options that are out there. And uh, thanks to the folks here at KNNA and also Pastor Moline that have uh, worked so hard to make those things available in that format. Let's get back to our gospel reading. We uh, we started our gospel, the gospel parable of the prodigal son. We talked a little bit about some of the historical background, what the son was actually saying to his father when he said, I want my money and I want it now. The, uh, the attitude that is so prevalent not only then but also today about taking for granted the things that are parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents have worked so hard for not only materially, but also spiritually. Well, as so often happens, you know, people have to learn these hard lessons for themselves. You can tell your little one, and you'll, you'll have this vicar in a while with Dawson, you can tell him, uh, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't touch that, it's hot. Well, until he touches it and burns his fingers, he will not remember or figure out exactly what you're protecting him from and what hot is. Uh, Dad here, in a sense, says, uh, well, you got to go do what you got to do. And uh, the son doesn't realize it at the time. But the stability of Dad and everything Dad stands for is going to be his anchor when he hits rock bottom. In Luke 15, verse 14, And when he, the prodigal son, had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Vicar, um, why is this an all-too-common tale? Well, he had no foresight for the future whatsoever. We don't know exactly how much he got, but uh, maybe he could have invested it. Maybe he could have spent it a little bit wiser and uh, had something left over for those hard years, but he didn't. He uh, never had to experience that type of thing before. He was always taken care of by his father, and so he went out and wasted everything. And then the severe famine arose, and didn't have any money he couldn't make any produce and so he had to hire himself out and assuming that he is squandering his money you know living in the bar and living large and all that kind of stuff uh, you gather a lot of friends around you when you're picking up the tab all the time 
But as soon as your money runs out, you find out that those newfound friends probably aren't going to be there when the chips are down. It's like that uh, Sticks song, Too Much Time's On My Hands. I've got dozens of friends and the fun never ends so long as I'm buying. And uh, once you're not buying anymore, the fun kind of runs out. There you go. Pastor Moline has sticks in his head today. So um, he was listening that on the way into the office. So, uh, But that is a great reference and a great uh, example of exactly what I'm talking about here. So Pastor, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, we got a lot of hog farmers here in Nebraska and in the Midwest. That That's not a bad job to have if you're working in the confinement buildings and if you're working for an established farmer. Why is this a key part of the parable that Jesus is telling? It's a key part because for the Jewish people... Uh, pigs are unclean animals, and hiring yourself out to Gentiles uh, is like hiring yourself out to unclean animals. So he's hired himself out to unclean people to take care of unclean animals. Even today, um, in the country of Israel, they do have hogs that are grown, but they build special platforms to keep the hogs several feet off the ground so that the hogs are not actually on the ground of Israel, making Israel unclean. They're actually up in the air on a platform because hogs are unclean animals. Wow, what what a letter of the law versus spirit of the law illustration that is. Exactly. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting way to think about it, but that illustrates how they view hogs. They're unclean animals. You shouldn't have them. You shouldn't eat them. shouldn't bring them even into our country. Uh, and that's what this man's doing. Uh, that's like the uh, the uh, person who says, well, I'm only going to look at pornography because God has created beautiful human beings, and I'm just marveling at the beauty of God's creation. And uh, we all know that uh, that's a lie. Uh, so uh, the he's feeding the hogs. This is a, a very demeaning uh, occupation. It is putting him... Regardless of whether he's uh, completely abandoned the faith or not, it is putting him in even a more perilous situation with regard to the clean and unclean laws that God has established, all of them pointing forward to Christ, by the way. Uh, And it says, He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Vicar, I want to say the prodigal son had now at this point hit rock bottom. What do you think? Well, if I was willing to stick my head into a pig trough and eat from it, I would imagine that that would be as close to rock bottom as you could possibly be. Yeah, I uh, again, growing up on the farm, uh, hearing those self-feeder lids banging all night, seeing how the hogs live and wallow in their own waste, uh, that's the last place I'm sticking my head. Mm-hmm. And so this tells us the absolute depth of despair and want. And we think back to that Psalm 25 introit that we had, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction, my trouble. This is where the prodigal son is at. And he needs to repent. He needs an about face. And lo and behold, we see kind of an about face here. And while he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
he said. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Pastor, how is this repentance but not full or complete repentance with regard to his understanding of what reconciliation and repentance is all about? It's half of repentance. Repentance has two parts. First, uh, realizing your sin, but then also believing in the mercy of who God is and what he's done. That comes about through hearing both the law and gospel. At this point, this man is just at the law portion. He realizes his sin, and when you are dealing with the law and you realize how you violated it, you look to see what can I do to make it right again. And that's what this man's looking at. Okay, I screwed up with dad. I wasted his things, but I can go back and I can be his slave or his servant and work for him and I'll still be better off than I am right now. And so that's his plan. He's come up with a a legal way to try and reconcile the things that he's done wrong uh, with his father. I think that's a marvelous way to look at things uh, when we think of uh, Luther's small catechism and we're looking at the catechism questions in there, the two parts of repentance. Being sorry for your sin is not repentance. That's contrition, and that's important, and that's necessary, and that's what we see here in the prodigal son. But he does not believe in the mercy of his father. He does not believe that his sin is forgivable. The only thing he can see, the only possibility he can see is to be a hired hand, to be a bunk hand, to to earn a paycheck. There's no thought in his mind that he could ever, 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 ever get back into the family. So we see contrition, but we don't have true repentance yet because there is no faith in the father's desire or willingness or ability to forgive. So he practices this speech. He goes back home. He's got this speech, and he's practicing it the whole time. Uh, He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How did the father see him when he was still a long way off? I mean, did did he have a spotting scope out there? What's going on, Vicar? He was sitting there waiting for his son to return, longing that his son would come back to him. Uh, I can't remember what movie it is, but it's kind of like the old man sitting on the rocking chair on the front porch, just rocking back and forth, waiting for his son to pop back up over the hill. And when he finally finds him, he is just it's ecstatic and overjoyed. The, uh, the, the picture here that should be in everybody's mind is this heartbroken dad that is praying day after day, all day long, day after day, waiting, hoping looking, and then he's there. We can't imagine the the jubilation that would be there. We can't imagine the joy, uh, almost like seeing someone rise from the dead, huh, Pastor? Yeah. Oh, boy, we got to take a break. Um, we'll come back and finish up our uh, parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 1132. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. day full of grace. I can't think of a better way to explain what is about to happen in our gospel reading now. We've been looking uh, at uh, the gospel reading for the third Sunday after Trinity, Luke 15, 11 to 32. In our first segment, we looked at the introit portions of Psalm 25 to kind of set the stage. But in uh, segments two and three, we've been looking at the gospel reading, and there's just so much here that uh, we're going to spend this last segment uh, concluding the parable of the prodigal son, a day full of grace. The, uh, the, the father is looking, he's longing for his son to return, and all of a sudden he sees him. Now remember, the son has been practicing his speech. And the speech is, yeah, 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 I'm sorry, I sinned against you, I sinned against God, let me be on the payroll. Let me sleep in the bunkhouse. Let me be a hired hand. And verse 21 of Luke 15 says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father cuts him off. He won't let him finish his speech. Why, Pastor? Because that's the way God works, and it even is before this. You'll note the son had been practicing his little speech to say, Just let me be your servant. But the father sees him from a distance, and the father runs out to him, and the father greets him, and the father hugs him before he even has an opportunity to speak these words. And when he starts to speak these words, here's how I'm going to make this right to you, Dad. The father cuts him off. That's the way God is with us. He saves us in the way he has determined. He gives his grace and love and mercy to us uh, because of what Jesus has done. There's no need for us to add or subtract to what God does for us, and God doesn't even give us the opportunity to. And I think it's worth mentioning here, though it might be a minor thing in this particular parable, um, in verse eight, or, uh, sorry, in verse 18, the man says, "I will arise and go to my father." The word that he uses is anastas, which is the word for resurrection. In fact, in uh, is in Israel, in Jerusalem, the place where Jesus' tomb is called the Anastasis, uh, the place of the resurrection. And then we also have in verse 20, the father arises and comes out. Um, and, oh, sorry, almost, verse 20, he arose and came out to his like father. He, almost like he leaps off of his chair, right? Yeah, well, and it's this idea, I think, in this whole process of returning to faith and being with the father, he is also rising uh, out of death and, and suffering and, and damnation to be with God. And that's the same thing that happens to us. When God comes to us, he runs out to us, he greets us, and he takes us by the hand and says, you're no longer dead because you're with me. The, the comment from the dad, you know, my son was dead, now he's alive. Yes. Uh, we, we have that, and that, that ties in beautifully with this resurrection uh, talk that we're talking about here. Uh, the, this parable is full of that, and it is all pointing us forward to the mother of all miracles, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which makes all of this possible. The uh, father um, says, uh, 
uh, says to his servants, uh, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, uh, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Vicar, what's going on here with this robe and ring and kill the fatted calf? What, what, uh, what's the significance of this? Uh, this is going to be a huge celebration that he's receiving back his son, and he's going to put his robe on him. You mentioned Ruth earlier, and I couldn't help but think of, you know, Ruth is asking Boaz to put the corner of his garment over her to kind of mark her as one that he will redeem, uh, bring him in or bring her into his household. And that's the same thing with this father now. Puts the signet ring on his finger, says, you have authority just like I have authority. Puts his robe on him, says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to throw a big celebration so that we can gather all of our friends and family and recognize before everyone, my son has returned and he is forgiven. The uh, Putting the ring on the hand reminds me of a scene from the movie Ben-Hur. When uh, Ben Hur Charlton Heston uh, saves the high-ranking Roman official from drowning, and uh, then later the high-ranking Roman official adopts him into his family, and what seals the adoption is that ring that goes on the finger. That is his proof that he is in the family. And so, if there's any doubt here, what kind of reconciliation? You know, notice Dad doesn't say, "Well, uh, I'll give you six months to prove you're really, 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 really sorry." He doesn't say, "Fill out an application, and uh, I'll put it in the stack with all the other people who want to be my hired hands." He immediately, fully, completely, no strings attached, welcomes him back into the family. I think there's also, not to bring it back to the Greek again, but the word that's used for the killing of the fatted calf is the word thuo, uh, which is, uh, it's not just kill, but it's also sacrifice. For example, in other places, uh, Peter's told to rise, kill, and eat. In the book of Acts, that's that word. But we also have uh, in Acts chapter 14, where this word is talked about, the people uh, at Lystra bring out the bulls, and they want to sacrifice them uh, to... uh, Barnabas, as they thought was Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, and so they're going to sacrifice these bulls to him, and that's the same word that's used here, and so we still have then this idea that there is shedding of blood that is going to happen as this forgiveness for this this uh, prodigal son takes place. That's a that's a great point. There's a uh, liberal theologian who's written a lot on the uh, parables, and he has uh, a, a, a an article out on the parable of the prodigal son, and he goes, "Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus?" And he goes, "Jesus is the fattest ca- fatted calf." Yep. You know, somebody had to die so that everybody could celebrate. And I always thought that that was a very clever uh, way. I, th- I think it's pretty accurate as well. But in our time that we have in this segment, uh, we've got a big part of this parable left that most of us ignore because we're so excited that the prodigal son is back. We're so excited at the love and mercy and forgiveness of the father that we kind of forget about the other son. And the other son is not happy. The other son, when he finds out what's going on, he was angry, verse 28, and refused to go into the celebration. His father came out and entreated him. He begged him. But the other son, the older son, answered his father, Look, all these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate 
with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him a brother, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Pastor, help us understand the attitude of the older brother here and why this attitude, you know, you said before, we are both the prodigal son and the older brother. Uh, how this attitude plays out in our world today. <laughs> and you have, have about three minutes. Okay, that's going to. If you can give me 20, I might be able to accomplish it. Uh, we'll um, let you preach this. You Sunday. know, we have, we have this situation that takes place all the time where people um, in the pew that claim to be Christians judge other people and determine how they shouldn't be here, how they're not worthy. Maybe they dress wrongly. Maybe they look like they've lived a rough life. Maybe they drive motorcycles and uh, have face tattoos or something like that. Or or maybe just the opposite. Oh, they think they have the perfect family. Oh, yeah. look at them. They're so pious and they never have any problems. See, I can, it, that knife can cut both ways. And what it, what it is is um, failure to repent yourself behind all of these judgment calls that we make or, or um, decisions that we make about other people. We in the church are all sinners. We've all been prodigal in our own particular ways, and we all have received the mercy and grace of God shown through Jesus. And so we are in no position to judge the other person as more sinful than we are. Uh, we sing the hymn, Chief of Sinners Though I Be, and it's not the next line isn't, at least I know Poppy's worse than me. Uh, uh, it could be, it, but it isn't. It is it is the idea that um, someone else is not as worthy as I am. None of us are worthy. All of us have received the mercy and grace of God equally, and we need to realize that and and not be angry when somebody we don't like is in church or to disagree with someone in church, but rather realize we're all in the same boat and God has saved us all equally. And um, this is kind of matching up with the parable where the people go into the vineyard and work and some work the whole day and some work just a little while. And yet the reward is the same for all of us. And that's what we need to realize as Christians. And the reward is pretty awesome too, if you think about it. Heaven, peace, comfort, joy for eternity, uh, being before the face of God. That's what all people can receive in Jesus Christ in repentance. So we ought to celebrate the fact that uh, sinners repent. We, we know the end of the story with regard to the prodigal son. The prodigal son is welcomed back into the family, and there is a joyous celebration because he was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's find, found. But we don't know the end of the story with the older brother. We are left hanging. You know, we need almost a sequel. We are left hanging because the father is entreating him to come in. The father is entreating him to repent. And so, in a sense, the one who left the family is now back in. And the one who we thought was in the family is really out. Is that, is that uh, accurate or am I missing something, well, I, I think the fact that we don't hear what happens to the older son is a literary device that God uses to so that when we read this, we are putting ourselves in the place of that older son. And it's not uh, resolved for us because we have to put ourselves in those shoes. And I, I'm going to use this word even though I don't want to, you know, we have to decide are we going to be repentant 
and welcoming and be in the family of God as a sinner who is also saved by grace? Or are we going to continue in the way of the older brother? Nobody made the older brother stay away from the celebration. He, yes. he was invited, but he rejected that invitation. And so it is possible for somebody in the family to fall from faith yes. out, of, out of sheer uh, stubbornness or pigheadedness or whatever. And that is the message that we so rarely take away from the prodigal son. And so how, who are you going to be? Uh, are you going to be repentant or are you going to be uh, unrepentant and apart from Christ? And, and because there's no resolution, we have to ask ourselves that question. And uh, we pray that you might repent of your sins and be welcomed back into the fold of God as well. Uh, and that works, that happens to you through God's grace and mercy, through the preaching of the word, through being in the divine service, uh, receiving the gifts that God gives, and, and saying above all, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Be a sinner because God forgives sinners. If you're not a sinner, God has no part for you. And uh, that is really the call and the point of this parable. Christ has done everything humanly possible. The celebration is ready. The table is set. Through his death and resurrection, you are invited to believe the good news that Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. The celebration is for you on account of what Jesus has done. Come, believe the good news. Hear what Christ has done for you. Celebrate not only now, but for all eternity. Vicar, would you bring things to a close? the Collect of the Day for the third Sunday after Trinity. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us that, with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through the things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, this is Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. Sunday morning, get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and above all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.